Welcome back to the McCann Dogs Podcast, Season 3, Episode 5. Have you met Five Alive? Five Alive is the newest puppy resident at the McCann household. He is a little mixed breed puppy, bred for uh, bred for sport, little sport mix puppy, and he is cute as a button. He you is adorable. Isn't he cute? And I, I've finally gotten used to saying he. Kale has had a lot of female dogs, and I'm so used to saying she, and I finally called Five Alive a he. But... Uh, yeah, if you haven't met Five Alive yet, check out our YouTube channel. The, there's all sorts of great puppy training videos that uh, star Five Alive that I think that our podcast audience will get a lot of really good value out of. So, and whether you have a puppy or whether you don't have a puppy, it's good for learning for sure. Okay, so on to the episode. Robbie and I today are going to talk a little bit about quick fixes and what's realistic in terms of expectation in dog training. And we wanted to talk about this a little bit in relation to a big problem because people often think that there's one path to a solution and that there's a simple answer in there. And unfortunately, where the answers are often simple they're not necessarily simple in their application. They're simple in their approach, but then what we need to be able to do is adjust to help the dog. And I think that's the part that people tend to forget about or not necessarily know the next steps on. So they're they're thinking that there's this one solution, they need to do this one thing to address the problem. And when that one thing, of course, doesn't address the problem, then they throw up their hands and think, okay, it didn't work. I don't know what to do now. So what do you think about the term quick fix when it comes to dog training? First thing I think about is someone who doesn't want to actually take the time to train their dog. And and it, and it makes me feel sad for the dog because there is no quick fix in dog training. Yeah. You know, there is no cookie cutter approach that we can use in training a dog. We need to look at the dog as an individual, assess how that dog is feeling, why they're acting the way they're acting, and then figure out how we can help them. You know, it's our job as their leader to figure out what makes them tick and how we can help them learn how to make better choices. And that is not always easy. And, you know, people often come to us and say, here's my problem. And we look at that, but then we can see all sorts of other things that are issues as well. And we know yeah. that we need to address those things first before we can even start to touch that one particular thing they think is a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of looking at the problem, what do you think you would do to deal with a dog reactivity problem, for example? If you were faced with this situation, what is the first thing that crosses your mind in terms of moving forward to try to fix that problem? The first thing I always think about is is um, how to set the dog up for success. You Beautiful. know, I think a lot of times people, when they're dealing with a reactive dog, they for some reason, want to put the dog in a situation that causes the reactions and then then correct the dog for them. And that's really the wrong approach. You mm -hmm. know, training a reactive dog should be really boring. It should not look like you're training a reactive dog. We want to set the dog up for success and say to them, here's how I want you to behave in this situation. If we just throw the dog into the deep end and allow them to make mistakes and there's all of that rehearsal, it just makes it harder and harder to fix the problem. And again, it's not a quick fix. It's, it's going to take time. And if we can set the dog up 
correctly and take our time to work through things with the dog and help them to understand, it's just such a nicer process. You know, the last thing we want to do is set the dog up to make mistakes and then have to correct them. That is just not a fun thing for the dog. And it's not fun for the human either. Yeah. And that actually is us being reactive to our dogs being reactive. Exactly. Which good dog training and what we consider to be good dog training in the McCann method is always about being proactive. It's always about anticipating what's going to happen so that you can keep the dog from making the mistakes over and over again. We know as dog trainers that a lot of behavior happens because it's allowed to be rehearsed. So the first thing that we always recommend you do, you know, if you don't have the understanding to move forward to fix a problem, the best thing that you can do until you acquire that understanding, and that would be, you know, finding somebody who can help you out with that. The best thing that you can do is stop the rehearsal of that problem. So allowing the dog to continue to practice the exact same thing you're trying to fix will only drive that behavior further, which is such an important piece of the equation. Now, what we also want to make sure of is that we are using good information and good advice to move forward with the dog. Um, I think that we might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, though, because we've dropped this word reactivity, and it just occurred to me that most of the time the word reactivity is is misunderstood as well. Um, And when we talk about reactivity, we're talking about big gestures from the dog, but not necessarily based on aggression. So reactivity can become aggression later on down the road. But when we talk about reactivity, it's the dog that, you know, I would say Ned is reactive in my backyard when it comes to squirrels because he'll go from lying down, presumably half asleep on the porch to screaming (laughs) and waking the neighborhood. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard a toller scream out there, but tollers can make some really something else. Oh my goodness. Something else. Picture a a dog being fed into a wood chipper and the noise that would come out of them at that point in terms of a scream. And that's somewhere close. It's not quite as bad (laughs) as it actually is. But there's a lot of noise that comes out of him. And when he sees that squirrel, I've had to work really hard to get in front of that reactivity because I don't want my neighbors to have to listen to that. You know, it's an awful noise. I also don't want my dog chasing down squirrels in the yard so now is the season spring is here and yes spring is here in ontario we're so excited about that but they run the pathway along my fence line and they're busy and they're constant so i've set up for spring now as soon as they started reappearing again they started waking up from the a little bit of a slumber they're definitely not as active through the winter in my area now that they're waking up and they're moving ned is remembering that these things are fun they're fun to chase etc so for the last i would say week and a half when we're out on the porch when we're when we're out on the back deck rather I have him set up so that he's under control. He's not just doing his own thing in the yard. He is with me. He's lying down. If I thought that I wouldn't be able to control it with my voice, I would have a leash or a line on him so that I could physically control it. And basically, I'm I'm taking a step ahead and I'm setting it up so that every time I see a squirrel starting to approach, right away I'm telling him, oh, what a good boy, good relax, good settle. I use the word settle with him, good settle, very good. Um, and then from there, and Ned's at the point now where he's 
he's he's well trained enough at five that he doesn't really need the food rewards per se. He's happy to just be right. And then from there, I do some tricks with him. Right. He goes, oh, I'm doing something good. And he focuses on me and we do some tricks or we do some fun things. Some of the things that he gets naturally reinforced by at this stage of the game because they've been trained for so long. And then I might throw a toy for him. So now he has an outlet for that energy as well. And I'm happy to say that every year when this uh, ritual starts, we spend a lot of time out in my backyard. Um, Every year when this ritual starts, the duration of time that I spend with reminder training gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And over the last couple of weeks, you know, we did a couple of reminder sessions and now he sees the squirrel and I see him get excited but then he looks to me instead right, because for direction. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that the reinforcement is coming from me. So he's wanting to earn reinforcement at that moment. And basically I've set him up to recognize that the appearance of a squirrel means good things are coming from me. So now he sees the squirrel and he's not thinking about chasing the squirrel. The other reason that he's not thinking about chasing the squirrel is that he never gets to do it. So I'm very careful to make sure that he doesn't get to rehearse chasing that squirrel over and over and over again. So if you were watching me train Ned in these situations, you would probably think, oh, that dog's not reactive to squirrels. No chance, which is exactly your point. That's exactly Mm -hmm. what I want. I want to keep him sub-threshold. I want to get those rewards in. I want to keep him in a state of mind where he can think and he can productively make decisions. And then from there, I can build other behaviors, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. And in order to be able to do all of that, you need to have good, solid, Mm -hmm. basic training on the dog. Um, You know, you can't just deal with the one particular situation that pops up. If the dog has no skills to fall back on, you're not going to be successful with your training. You know, and the idea with the McCann method is to teach the skills, teach the basics, have them really solid so that you can use them in those sorts of situations. But a dog with no training, they're never going to have success. They need to have skills first. They need to understand that you're a good leader. You give good direction. You're there to guide them. You're there to help them. You're not their enemy. You want them looking to you saying, what do I need to do in this situation? And that's what Ned has learned. He's learned to direct back to you and say, okay, Shannon, what should I do? Yeah, absolutely. And and to, um, to your point there, if I had started training Ned with squirrels as the distraction, there's yeah. no way I would have had success. Absolutely. So he knows full well how to lie down, be still, be relaxed with all sorts of stimulation going on because we've trained that prior to actually needing it in this situation. And um, talk about that a little bit. Talk about how much you expect your dog to understand and make decisions in a situation before they're actually completely trained. Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I would never really even say that a dog is ever completely trained because, you know, they're, they're dogs. Mm-hmm. They're going to make mistakes. But the important thing is that as their trainer, we're able to recognize the moment they're off track and say, mm-hmm. hey, wait a minute. This isn't right. This is what we need to be doing instead. But a dog needs to have a really solid foundation of skills in a low distraction situation before we start to up the ante on the dog. If we throw them in too soon in a situation that they can't handle, we're setting them up for failure and we're setting them up so that we're having to say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. So I think a lot of people underestimate how much prior preparation goes into this sort of training 
before you can actually deal with the issue itself. So if yeah. you have a dog that, you know, likes to chase cars, you don't bring them out and stand next to the road and hope that they're not going to chase the car as it goes by and then find yourself feeling very deflated because the dog chased the car and now you mm-hmm. have to correct the dog. You know, we would think, okay, how can we set up a situation that's similar to this where we can work through the issue and then once the dog has skills, we apply those skills in that particular situation where the dog's struggling. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the setup. I absolutely love the word setup. I love the idea of the setup and training because the predictability factor is so much nicer when you've set up the situation. When you are out on the street and your dog doesn't have good greeting manners yet because they're still a puppy and they're still learning and you have a stranger come up to you who just loves puppies and they go, oh my gosh, look at your cute puppy. It's so sweet. Let me jump all over him and let him jump all over me. And then you go, oh, I'm actually trying to teach him not to jump up. And the person goes, oh, I don't care. I don't care. I just love puppies. I don't mind if he jumps on me. And, you know, you're trying to decide between, should I continue to be polite and then <laughs> clean up the mess with my puppy later? Or should I address this with this stranger? And there's this awkward conversation you're having with yourself. And then the dog basically gets reinforced for exactly the wrong thing. So rather than that situation, I would much rather say, hey, Robbie, Come over here and help me with greeting manners. And I'm going to tell Robbie to, okay, I just want you to stand 10 feet away to start with. Ned's really struggling. He's really friendly. He really wants to get up and jump all over everybody, but he's just learning. So I'm working on having him sit at my side. And Robbie, don't even look at him. Just walk past him three or four times. And as Robbie walks past him three or four times, I'm feeding Ned for holding that sit on a loose lead. And if you listen to our last episode, we talked a lot about the loose lead and how important that is in your training, because eventually you don't want to have a leash or any equipment on your dog whatsoever. You want them listening to your voice. So anytime I reinforce my dog, reward them, I'm going to make sure that it's done on a loose lead. So Ned's sitting at my side on a loose lead as this person walks by in front of him. him. And basically what that's doing is it's getting in front of any sort of reactivity. So rather than me allowing him to have his little mind blown by Robbie being present because he wants to go and say hello to Robbie, I can instead teach him that, yeah, Robbie's there, But you can ignore Robbie until she comes in to actually say hello to you. And because I get to practice this situation where Robbie walks back and forth in front of Ned, you know, 10 feet away to start with, and then I'm going to have her move closer. Okay, Robbie, he's doing great. Come five feet in. Okay, Robbie, he's doing awesome. Stop right there and just stand there. And I'm rewarding him while he's sitting. And then we leave that training situation. And I have basically just had a great opportunity with my puppy to learn what's appropriate in terms of greeting manners. And Robbie hasn't even reached in to say hello. But the next time I start this training session, rather than starting in a situation where my puppy is already excited and bouncing out at Robbie to say hello, he's going to have some history from yesterday. And he's going to go, okay, I got lots of treats for holding this sit. Now Robbie's going to start at five feet away. I get the rewards in for him holding the sit. Now Ned might be ready for Robbie to come in and stand within two feet without getting up out of that sit. He might be ready for her to reach under and give a little tickle under the chin while he holds the sit. So I'm a couple of training sessions in. And because of the proactiveness of my training efforts, Ned is now learning to hold position at my left hand side and greet politely, which I'm going to continue to build on. I'm in training mode right now. This is definitely not my end product, which a lot of the times people see these little snippets. Don't you think they see these little snippet windows of a dog in training and they think that's where you have to rest forever. 
which is definitely not the case. We're building on these steps. You know, they master this stage of the game and we ask them for something a little bit tougher. And then they master that and we make it a little bit tougher. And eventually we've got a dog that can hold a sit while Robbie comes in and pats all over his head and ruffles his feathers and, you know, has a good greeting. And Ned can enjoy that greeting, but while holding the sit and wiggling instead of jumping all over Robbie. So, um, in terms of getting ahead of things when it comes to training, uh, what's another area? What, what comes to mind when you think about where dogs will often be reactive, where we could have done a better job giving them information ahead of time? Uh, I think a lot of people I find struggle walking their dogs when they're mm. encountering other dogs um, because they'll often feed off of other dogs. They'll trigger on other dogs' triggers. And... Um, it's a situation where people sometimes expect too much of the dog when the dog doesn't have the the appropriate training to begin with. And, um, you know, they'll set the dog up in a situation where the dog's passing by another dog out on a walk and they're too close. And now the dog is um, reactive and not necessarily aggressive. We don't necessarily mean aggression. The dog might be barking and bouncing out of excitement. It might just be stimulation, a little bit of over arousal, but the dog's making a mistake. The dog's not behaving appropriately. And then to add fuel to the fire, the other dog will often react. And now you have two dogs being reactive and it just creates a, a, a situation that is not nice to have to deal with. So what we want to do is think about creating distance in situations like that. So if I'm walking in the park with a young dog and I see someone approaching with that with another dog, I'm going to move off the path if yeah. I need to. I'm going to move as far away as I feel I need to in order to help my dog pass by successfully so I can reward my dog and say, this is what I want. I want you just to acknowledge the fact that, yes, there's a dog over there. No, you do not get to go greet it. You mm-hmm. need to stick with me. And I'm going to reinforce you for it. I'm going to make it worth your while. And then over time, I'm able to walk closer and closer and closer to the other dogs without my dog's even thinking about the other dog, they yeah. know that there's no reinforcement over there with the other dog. All the reinforcement is going to happen with me. And, you know, I'm very selective if I'm walking somewhere and I see someone approaching with a dog and, you know, you get a pretty good sense about dogs as as they're approaching, whether they're in control or they're out of control. And quite Absolutely. often what I'll do is I'll look at the human mm-hmm. and I'll see what is the human doing? And if that person all of a sudden starts to look tense and they're holding their dog in on a tight lead... I'm thinking to myself right off the bat, "Mm, I don't know if I want to get close to them. So I'll give them a wide berth or I'll move right off the path and I'll have my dog just sit with me and allow them to pass by. I'm not going to set my dog up in a situation where there's going to potentially be an issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of our listeners right now are probably thinking... When do I get to let my dog say hello to that other dog? Yes. So um, I know I've talked about ad nauseum, how I go about on leash greetings, which they don't happen. They Which don't precisely. ever happen. Uh, Robbie, yeah, I, I'm sure you're of the same philosophy, but tell me a little bit about um, dogs out there on the street and why you don't. Yeah. When, when a dog is on leash, we want them to learn that they're with you. You know, they should be paying attention to you. They should not be pulling to go and do this and go do that or go greet other dogs. We want them to learn when they're on leash with you, they're to give you their attention. And and we're not saying that they have to walk along staring at you, but they need to be mindful of what you're doing and Mm -hmm. sticking with you. And if we allow our dogs to just go greet willy nilly out on the street, we're teaching our dogs that, hey, Life is great when you ignore me. You know, when you pull on that leash to go greet, good things are going to happen. 
But it's not always going to be good things that happen, especially if your dog's going nose to nose with another dog that you don't know, you know, and don't, you know, a lot of people will say to you, don't worry, my dog is friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you've heard that. And then lo and behold, something happens and they're not necessarily friendly. And it's not that they're necessarily even a bad dog, but that dog, you know, for one moment in time could all of a sudden lose confidence and say, I'm worried. And now you have a dog that's going at another dog because there's some, some, some fear there. They're not sure what to do. And yeah. the problem is when the dog is on a leash, they can feel very trapped by that leash. You know, dogs, when they get worried, they'll either flee or they'll fight. Sometimes they'll just freeze, but in most cases they'll flee or they'll fight. And because they know they cannot flee because that leash is attached, then all of a sudden you get this huge mm-hmm. display and it's just not a good situation. You don't want your dog to feel the need to have to do that. And you certainly don't want them behaving in that manner. So my rule of thumb is I, I never let my dogs greet other dogs that yeah. I don't know on leash. You know, if I'm walking with a friend and, and my dogs, you know, have had lots of opportunity to interact with that dog and their buddies, you know, where they've had opportunities in our yard or out on walks in the park somewhere where they have interacted and I know that I can trust that other dog, um, then I will let them say a quick little hello when they're on leash. But at the same time, I know that at any moment I can tell them, go say hi, Mm -hmm. give them permission to say a quick hello, and then I can just call them back to me and it's a non-issue. You know, they're not looking to continue trying to engage with that other dog. They focus back on me right away as soon as I ask them to, and then off we go. We just continue on our merry way. But we don't ever recommend allowing your dogs to go greet other dogs. It's just not a safe situation. Yeah. And I really like what you said there about um, the default behavior, about saying, go and say hi, giving permission for things versus them assuming that each dog that they see out there on the street is going to be their option to go and say hello to. And a lot of the times that is what creates the reactivity. Sure. You know, the dog starts to anticipate as soon as they see another dog, oh, I'm going to get to have a little play. I'm going to get to have a little play with that other dog. So they get reactive and louder sooner. As soon as they see that dog around the corner, they're on their back feet trying to get to it. The unfortunate thing with this is that the frustration involved for the dog will often lead to more tension between both of the dogs. Um, You already talked a little bit about not necessarily knowing the dog, not knowing if the dog is going to be a friendly dog, etc. I mean, we we don't. We enter into this situation where it may or may not go well. You don't know that dog. You don't know their history. Unfortunately, we... um, we do end up hearing a lot of stories and there's a lot of stories where people said, oh, he just wants to play and they either are misidentifying their dog or they're misunderstanding what their dog is trying to say. So whether it's deliberate or not, they're trying to save face because they're embarrassed by their dog's behavior, who knows? But I personally have just learned to trust my own instincts and my own instincts tell me to leave dogs that are not friends of my dog's be and not let my dog think that they're ever within their within their possibility of going to say hello. So I'm very specific when I do allow my dogs to go and play with other dogs about making sure that they have permission. I've said, okay, go play. And they very clearly received that permission. If they haven't received that permission, their default behavior, leave it alone. It's off limits for you because there's, you know, there's, there's just too many dogs out there on the street. I don't want, uh, we don't need that many friends. Alrighty. So, um, 
Talking about training modes in terms of trying to stave off reactivity, there are different training modes that you're going to work with with your dog. Um, and this is through their whole lives. So if you have a dog that has a tendency, Ned, for example, we talked about him wanting to chase squirrels out in the yard, and that's his reactivity. I mean, there's other places as well that there's reactivity issues with him that I've had to put training skills in place to make sure that, you know, we've gotten over those things. It's very normal. Most dogs most dogs have them but unfortunately reactivity often gets coupled with uh, aggression in terms of people's thinking so it we often will stay away from the words reactivity just because they bring up images that aren't quite what we're looking for but it is a very valid thing to try to work away from now with our dogs in the different modes of training, we've got training, we've got proofing, we've got maintenance modes. When you're in training mode, what would you say is the relevance of that when it comes to um, reactivity? So what are you doing to try to avoid reactivity when you're in training mode? Um, my, the, my main thing is trying to keep the dog under threshold. I want the dog, I want to work with the dog at a distance where they're comfortable and I'm able to get success. So if I'm dealing with the situation, you know, we'll use the car chasing again as an example. If I'm dealing with the dog that likes to chase cars, my first border collie did. I, my first border collie, he was 11 months old when I first brought him home. And, um, I was very surprised a few days later when I was walking him down the road and all of a sudden I could see the car approaching. I can see him go into border collie herding mode and I having not had border collies in the past, I didn't think much of it until the car actually passed by and he shot out like a like a rocket to the end of his leash, chasing that car, barking, and it, it surprised me. Thank goodness I had a good hold of his leash. Mm-hmm. But I realized very quickly that, uh-oh, I've got an issue here. This dog wants to chase cars. And so... I had to stop walking him where the cars were because I didn't want him obviously rehearsing those behaviors. And I had to go right to the basics. We're teaching him, you know, how to sit beside me on a loose leash, how to walk nicely with me on a loose leash where there were no cars. You know, the only cars that were around us were cars that were parked and were not moving. So I had an opportunity to teach him some skills, get him going on some basic skills. And then once I had those basic skills in place, then I was able to start working around cars. And I was very selective about where I did it. I didn't go back out and work on the road where there was going to be cars whipping past us nonstop. I would go to a parking lot where there would be the random car moving around. And I would purposely choose a spot far away from where I knew the cars were actually going to be moving. And I would work with him. And at first, I'm not even sure he really noticed that the cars were there, which was good because that's exactly what I want. I want the cars to be around, but I don't want him taking notice and focusing all of his energy and intention on that. And then I was able to gradually work him closer and closer and closer to those cars. And then from there, once we were able to handle the odd car in the parking lot, then I was able to work with them in situations where there's a little bit more challenge, you know, out on a quiet street where there was the odd car. But I spent a lot of time just working basics with him to get him to learn how to listen to me, remain calm. And then from there, I was able to use those skills to help him with his cars, his car chasing incidents. Awesome. And if you think about um, how you can break down things like chase. So when we're dealing with reactivity, a lot of the times it does have to do with chase and, and you know, the prey drive that's going to kick in with your dog. Um, what we want to make sure that we are doing is providing outlets for the dogs as well. So while we're saying that you can't chase these cars, we need to give our dogs an opportunity to have that chase. You know, you've got a young border collie. They're not 
they're not couch potatoes. They're not weekend warriors. And if you don't fulfill the needs that are there, you're going to end up in a situation where you have a really frustrated dog that is not a productive member of your household whatsoever. So knowing that there's this need in there with the dog, what are some of the ways that you would fulfill that need to chase that are productive and much more productive, of course, than trying to chase other people's vehicles? Yeah. So I, I worked on games with him, like retrieve games and tugging games so that he can be using his energy and his drive for something that was productive. You know, he was blowing off steam, but he was working for me at the same time. He wasn't just out doing his own thing and self-rewarding. So I do a lot of retrieve work with him. I did a lot of work um, on recalls where we use that chase instinct to teach them to chase us. So if you want to chase something, great, chase me. And that's how I, that's how we teach the dogs to come when they're called. We teach them to find a lot of value in chasing us and getting to us. So... I looked for any opportunity I could to do things with him that he thought were fun, but he was working with me. It wasn't just him doing his own thing, making up his own fun. You know, I started doing fly ball with him. I started doing agility with him. Of course, I had to make sure I had a lot of basic training on him before I got to those Mm -hmm. things. But those activities gave him a great outlet. And not only did it give him a great outlet, but it also helped to develop our relationship. And then as our relationship got stronger and stronger, I started to see him deferring to me in situations where I know in the past, he would have just taken over. He would have done what he wanted to do at that moment in time. But because we had skills, we had a relationship, I found him now looking to me for direction and it made all the difference in our relationship. Awesome. Now on the other side of the coin, so we need to not only teach them or we need to not only fulfill those desires and fulfill those drives so that we have a content dog on our hands, we also need to help direct them as to when it's appropriate to fulfill those desires. So let's talk a little bit about emotional control and how do you balance out both you're allowed to chase and you're allowed to grab this toy and you're allowed to tug ferociously and have a good time with me with it. But then there's the other side of the coin where we want to make sure that we can move around with items in our hands. I want to make sure that I can have a tug toy in my hand without being accosted by my dog. I want to make sure that I can turn off the chase in situations that I need to. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things you do for emotional control work. Mm-hmm. Dog training is all about balance. Love it. It's and so we is. want to balance their energy and their enthusiasm to do things with their ability to still listen in those situations. And that's such an important thing to be able to do. So If I have a dog that's highly toy motivated, which is fantastic because I can use that toy as a reward for so many different things, I want to make sure that my dog has manners around that toy. I want to make sure that just because I'm holding the toy in my hands does not mean that my dog can now dive bomb me and try to grab the toy and bite me in the process. I want my dog to know you need to show control. I'm in charge. I will invite you to play when the time is right. So that's where our basic skills come into play. You know, we would have the dog sit. When the dog sits and is sitting calmly, we would mark that with our yes. And then I might say, okay, get it. And then release my dog to the toy. So my dog learns, I'm going to give you what you want, but you need to give me what I want first. I want that control. I'm going to reinforce that control by now doing something really fun. And you'd be surprised at how quickly the dogs figure this out. And what happens is the dog starts to look to you, you know, that that look of desire where they're saying, I cannot wait because I know that any moment you might release me to do something really fun. So we've got that control 
that we've got that energy and enthusiasm where we're making it work for us rather than allowing the dog to work for themselves. Yeah, honestly, such an important thing. The balance thing is so crucial to our dog's lives. We can't just say you can't chase. You know, we've got a dog who was bred to chase. These are not weekend warriors. They're bred to be very reactive to motion. They're bred to chase and herd and organize, etc. They wouldn't be very good in these working situations if they didn't have any chase drive. If they went, oh, sheep, good for them, and then laid back down, we wouldn't have a very good border collie to work with. So we definitely need to have that in the dog. And this is where sometimes things get a little bit confusing for people where they get these dogs that are not necessarily a good fit with their lifestyle, but... I mean, the overwhelming majority of us don't have sheep farms that have herding dogs, et cetera. So we need to make sure that we can identify the needs. And then we need to make sure that we can take those needs and fulfill them so that we don't end up with the dog trying to fulfill them themselves in ways that are unproductive. And that is what happens a lot of the times when they're left to their own devices. I really love that you talked about walking on lead as such a big part of this, because that's one of the places that people often will... Um, make their lives much more difficult because they start off by wanting to take their dogs for a walk because we think that that's what we have to do. We have to walk our dogs, which um, we have several episodes that talk about socialization, early training with young puppies, not taking your puppies for walks, being very specific and uh, d- uh, definitive about the socialization opportunities that they have. And it's not just in going outside of the house and taking the puppy for a walk. That'll actually set you back because while you're doing the traditional walk, they don't have the skills to walk yet. So they're probably pulling. And when they see other dogs, they don't know how to contend with those other dogs. So they go, I'm so excited to see that other dog. And we actually might end up in a situation where we're creating a reactive dog as opposed to helping our dog learn how to live nicely in society. So if you have gotten a dog that is full of beans and full of energy and is basically bred to work, you know, a a full-time job with the shepherds out in the field, you need to fulfill those chase drives or they're going to find outlets that are not productive. So find ways to make that work and then find ways to control the chase as well. It's not just about the party and it's not just about the control. It's all about the in-between and being able to have the best of both worlds. All right. You know what? This has been a really good episode. We're starting to get close to time limit here. So I think that we are going to continue talking about this in another episode. But for now, if you're looking for advice on how to raise your puppy, if you want to have instructors and trainers there with you every step of the way, join us for online training in the McCann Dogs Homeschool. And you can work with the McCann Dogs instructors, including Robbie and myself. We are in there doing support every day of the week. We love it. And we absolutely love it. We also have, um, we have a membership program for people who have completed their basics, their life skills training, and they have a good recall and they have some understanding of training. We start to deep dive into some really fun training topics. And that's in our monthly members only section, which basically we get into all sorts of training methods that might lead to, um, more fun in your training, shaping methods, et cetera, et cetera. We're doing all sorts of trick training. We're doing all sorts of concepts and whatnot and just teaching all about training. So there's so much to do out there and so much fun to be had. And we hope that uh, you guys will come and join Instructor Robbie and myself. I'm, and not, I'm not sure who, who has more fun doing it, us or the students. I know. It's, I think it's it, a lot of fun. I think it quite possibly is yes. us. But. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> Hopefully the students have at least as much fun. <laughs> Alrighty. On that note, I'm Shannon. I'm Robbie. Happy training. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training. Happy training.